Welcome to HR Latte, your connection to all things HR. Today's great HR department is foundational for today's successful business. Listen in as host Rayanne Thorne gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources. And now for your next cup of talent management, whipped to perfection. Hey, and happy New Year's, everybody. This is Rayanne Thorne coming to you from Laguna Beach, California. This is our end of the year wrap up show, and I have brought back one of my most popular guests from 2015, Mr. Paul Hebert. Hey, Paul, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you again for having me on. <laughs> always, always a pleasure. I listened to our show that we did last year, and I'm fascinated by some of the things that we talked about last year that I forgot completely about, and I'm looking forward to readdressing those and talking a little bit more about 2015 successes, maybe some failures, maybe some directional changes. But before we get into that, can you please give us a quick intro of yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and how you serve the market that you serve? Well, I'll be happy to, you know, it's, you, you can get away with a lot more when you do your own introduction, you know. This is true. This is true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I play in the space of employee engagement and incentives and rewards. And I separate those out because, on purpose because I think sometimes we mix up incentives and rewards and think that that's part of engagement or we think engagement's really all that's right. That's that, you know, incentives and rewards drive engagement. There's a lot of places. So I work with companies on how to basically influence employee behavior in a lot of different ways. So sometimes it's incentives and rewards. Sometimes it's communication and training, but some of that also then follow falls into dealers and distributors because a lot of companies say, Hey, how do I get my dealers to buy more of my product or sell more? So I can help them with that through the proper design of initiatives that influence behaviors. So that's where I play. So naturally, I get a lot of connection with HR because I'm always talking to them about better ways to do recognition in their company, better ways to provide an incentive to their salespeople. So you know, I kind of play in that whole employee space as well as some other areas. And I've been doing that for, gosh... I, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to duplicate too much from last year, but sure. I've been doing it about 25 years or so. I think I might have mentioned that I started out working on uh, the space shuttle and the B-1 bomber early in my career, but I kind of got into this fun place pretty quickly. So I've been doing that for a while and, and I enjoy it. I mean, it's one of those jobs that you can do forever because people will always be weird. And <laughs> as long as they're weird, people are going to say, how do I get somebody to do something? And that's where I can come in and help. Oh, that's great. And of course, you are a voice in the space that is recognized and appreciated and respected. So I'm I'm really happy to have you here on my New Year's Eve show for 2015. You were here in 2014. And I know you've had something new going on this year, and I would love for you to tell our listeners about that. 50 Over 50 in HR, Intrepid Now is a proud sponsor of yes. this initiative. So can you tell us a little bit about 50 Over 50 in HR? Absolutely. We'd love to. You know, we, uh, this goes back a few months now. I think we kicked it off in October. And I say we because I, I ran this by about 100 people because I was a little afraid to actually do it at first. And, but basically what it is, it's a way to recognize and highlight people who have had a career of excellence in HR. 
you're like me. You probably read a lot on the web and you you see all the time, you know, this 30 under 30 thing, (laughs) 40 under 40. And I'm not either of those categories anymore, (laughs) which I'm kind of happy about in some cases. Me too. There's parts of my 30s and 40s I really don't want to relive. But, you know, I started thinking that there's a lot of people out there that, you know, have done one thing in their life and they're kind of still riding that horse. If you go out and look at LinkedIn profiles, you'll see somebody say, oh, you know, voted the most impactful person in their industry. And then when you dig into it, you find out it was from 1983. Right. Start to wonder, have they done nothing in that time frame other than that one thing, if that's what they're bragging about? And that made me start thinking about a lot of the people, and I think, you know, mutual friends of ours that are in the HR space that have been doing this for their whole career and doing it at a very high level and have actually influenced companies in a great way that aren't getting noticed and aren't getting recognized. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we had a way to pick people out of a crowd to say, you know, you've been doing this, but you've been doing it for a long period of time at a very high level, you should be recognized. So they're not one hit wonder, so to speak. And so I ran that by a few people and I said, you know, would you be upset if somebody nominated you? And they said, no, absolutely not. You know, because I was worried, especially I think that, you know, as you start to get a little bit later in your career, you start to worry that people look at you as obsolete or replaceable. And the reality is, and the research is showing this, that if you hire people over 50, you actually get more bang for your buck nowadays. That's true. Because they've got experience and they've got wisdom. Well, they have the wisdom. Yeah. The wisdom is the most important part, right? Yeah, I mean, Which you know, is the, the experience that... mixed with the, uh, the intellect and the years and the gut feelings of what they've earned. Really, it's earned wisdom. And that's the, the whole point. So I started, I put together a list of judges. I wanted to get other people involved. I didn't want it to be just Paul Hebert's opinion, number one. I mean, I, it is a fabulous opinion. I, I believe in it myself quite a bit, but not everybody else does. So <laughs> I wanted to get a few other people's opinion, and I wanted a fairly diverse crowd of people. So I went out and I kind of went through my LinkedIn list and picked people that I thought, A, could help support the movement, have a big social footprint, B, also provide a very unique point of view. So I got, you know, I couldn't eliminate a few people in my network, such as China Gorman. She's been around for a while. She understands what's going on in HR. So she's part of the judging panel. I've got Victoria Millian, who's out of New York, who yes. is a, a very interesting and different voice in HR. I've got uh, Sarah Williams, who is a diversity person in HR. I've got uh, Mary Faulkner, who's kind of a smart ass, and I really just <laughs> hanging out with her. So she's in that loop. Chris Dunn from Kinetic. Sure. Myself. Ron Thomas over in, in oh, Dubai. Oh, yes, yes. Great places to work. So I tried to get a little international feel, a little diversity, men, female, people of color, all of that. Got that group put together. And then what we're doing is month is, is you can nominate anybody as long as they're over 50, the age of 50, right? and have had a career in HR at some point. I, I didn't want it to be just solely pract- or, uh, consultants, right? We've got enough people telling HR how they should do their job that have never done that job. And for I feel that way. I mean, I, I orbit HR and I do help them by telling them how to do what I do. I don't try to tell them how to do HR. I've never right. done it. But there's enough people out there that have never done that job that continue to tell them how they should do it. But anyway, so it's a pretty, anybody can nominate anybody over the age of 50 who has had a career of excellence. That nominee will then be put up each month as on the website. And by the way, I didn't say that originally, and it's 50over50hr.com. The number 50 over the number 50hr.com. Okay. 50 over 50hr.com. Right. hr.com, correct. Right. So 50over50hr.com. 
And you can nominate somebody. And we've already, you know, we had a, a big rush at the beginning and now it's kind of leveling off. We've been doing it October, November, December. We're getting ready to. So anyway, each month we get nominees in, we put those up, we highlight them on the site, we highlight them on Twitter. Then each month that group of people is then voted on, or I should say reviewed by the judges. We pick one person out of that group to be highlighted for that month. Oh, that's wonderful. So at the end of the year, theoretically, we'll have over 50 nominees in total. So I'm looking at a minimum of five a month, right? Right. And then we'll have 12 highlighted people over the course of the year. And then out of that 12, we'll pick one annual recipient. And the goal is, depending upon how the sponsorships work out and everything, to actually have a dinner someplace and do a nice, you know, you can look on the website, there's a really nice award we've designed. And and each month, anybody that gets nominated gets a certificate suitable for framing and then they get a monthly plaque that we will be sending out. I'll be doing them. I'm a little behind because I'm trying to do it all myself. Sure. Bootstrapping this thing. But we have picked somebody for November or October. So I'll be announcing that and then we'll pick somebody from November and December and all that. So going forward, you know, my goal, get a minimum of four or five a month to be nominated. It looks like we'll be doing that pretty regularly. And the buzz has been great. People have been digging it. So I'm happy. I love this idea. And I will make sure that we highlight the website in the bio for this episode and make sure that we we direct people to the website. And, and you know, we'll make sure a couple of tweets go out to benefit this initiative, make sure people know where to find it and encourage them to go and vote or nominate somebody. I think it's a fantastic idea. And hopefully we can expand the circle of influence that is in the human resource and talent management space. You know, that seems like there's the same 200, 250 people that are making all the noise. And so I, I love that there are some names I did not recognize at all, but have been really a huge part of their organization and instrumental in the success of that organization. As we know, human resources is when it's done right and done well, it is part of the success for any successful business. And it can certainly be part of the failure as well. I've been part of organizations where HR failed and it did not do any benefit to the organization. So Right. And and you actually bring up a very interesting point when you say that you you saw some names that you may not have seen before. And that's one of the goals was to, again, surface some names that may not have been out there. Right. And it's interesting is a couple of the people that have been nominated, I don't think even had Twitter accounts or any other kind of social. Oh, wow. So it was a very interesting process for me to read some of the recommendations people were sending in because the, the little form, it's a pretty simple form. It just says, you know, what's your name and email and what's their name and email and why are you nominating them? And then we ask for permission to use that information. But one of the nominees actually is a descendant of somebody from the Donner Party. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> one of the ones that survived. But, um, Obviously. Where else are you going to find that kind of human interest That's, drama other than on 50 over That 50. is drama. We love it. We love it. Well, I look forward to learning more about it and watching it as, the, as it grows. And thank you for highlighting individuals that have survived in HR past the age of 50. Yeah. You and I are both in that group. And it's nice to see that there is a little bit of recognition out there for individuals that have, you know, hung around through multiple recessions and bad times in the industry, especially when it comes to talent acquisition and how when hiring slows, recruiters and talent specialists lose their jobs, right? And so they have to work hard and hustle to to stay in the industry. And I know that's what it was for me back in 2007, 2008. So it's a constant battle to not only stay apprised of new techniques and compliance issues, all those different things that we have to address in HR and talent acquisition and talent management. 
but also to be recognized for longevity and what you bring to the industry, how you've benefited your organization. So I love it and we'll be watching it. Yeah. And the research says that that is actually the peak period where you add value to a company is in your you know 50s. So oh, well. I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm, I will make I'm, sure I'm my CEO knows that. <laughs> Right. Make sure my CEO recognizes, hey, over 50, that's you're going to get the best value right now. So (laughs) take take advantage of it. So last year, Paul, on New Year's Eve, we addressed saying goodbye to 2014. I think you and I both had a really, I can say this, a shitty year. You and I both had a really, (laughs) a really crappy 2014. And it was evident that by the time we got together and had our discussion. We were really looking forward to 2015 and ready to move forward and tackle the new year and have it be better. It was much better for me. How was 2015 for you? It's difficult to say because I think, you know, perspective is always a great thing. And we can always look back and pick out some of the, the negatives. But sure. And I think you just have to have them. I mean, life is just not fun if it's always at the top of the curve, right? Right. Uh, it's that old story about life's like a roller coaster. You know, you kind of got to go up and down to enjoy it. That's right. So I think it was a great year. I judge everything. Isn't it funny? I, you have kids. I know. So I know. you kind of judge your life around them. If, right. if they're doing good, your life, no matter how crappy it is, is good. So they did well. My kids are doing wonderfully well. My daughter's finishing up her master's. You know, she's complaining because she's four points away from B on one class. She's got like a 3.9997 or something weird and complaining about it. So I'm proud of that. She's proud of that. My son's graduating, hopefully in the fall for the degree in chemistry. So, you know, he's, you know, going to hopefully be a contributing member of society (laughs) and not just be kind of a symbiotic organism on me. But there you go. So they're doing well. And work-wise, we've had some changes this year. Just uh, the company I work for got sold. So now I'm kind of back to consulting again. Still looking to find some place that I want to contribute to. And I'm having some of those conversations. So those are all like bumps in the road, so to speak. But they make life interesting. So yeah, I think 15 was a good year. I think, like I said, I nothing's ever perfect. We lost our mom, my mom this year, which was a surprise. And But you know... Those are all part of life, right? And that is. So I can't say that there's a thousand people that had a worse year than me. But like I said, I'm. I always try to look for the good part of it. I mean, there's just you can't do yourself any good by dwelling on negatives, right? So that's right. And the positives are, you know, where we can build from there. You know, you mentioned your children. I have the same thing. I have a couple of kids in college, and and watching them learn and navigate adulthood yeah. is just incredible and fun. And you feel like, maybe I did something right. They did, they did that part right. You know, my daughter, who's just finishing up her, just going into the the spring semester of her sophomore year, just got her first semester of straight A's and the pride on her face when she shared the news, you know, and watching her work so hard. She was one of those kids that had to work hard to get a C. She just really, really struggled all through. She worked harder than any of my kids. And it was very hard to come by. And she has just soared in a, a college setting. So I'm proud of her. And, and we do that. The, our children are a reflection of us and, and a source of happiness and pride. And, and they should be right. Yeah. And they can also be a source of heartache. I've, I've gone through those, <laughs> those years also. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's nice to look back and say, okay, my children found some success. So that's going to help me to look at the year as a successful year. And it is hard. It, unfortunately, we are over 50. And that's when we start to lose our parents and older friends and start to see health decline around us and and in ourselves. I mean, I've had my own share of back problems and feet problems and all the wonderful things that come with getting older. 
but that's part of life, yeah. like you mentioned. So, so one thing. Let me add, before we jump on it, I'm yeah. curious now. You've got my wheels spinning when you talk about your daughter being, you know, potentially not a, a, as academically uh, great before, but now getting straight A's. Yeah. What changed? Did she find something she was interested in? No, she was diagnosed when she was very young as dyslexic. And oh. the advice that we got was do not have, don't tell anybody. Just she, she, she just needs to know which I think is the wrong advice that we got when she was very little. Do not tell anybody. She's just going to have to work harder. You know, so everything in elementary school and junior high and most of high school is based on reading comprehension. And if you struggle with sentence structure and the whole comprehension side of things, it makes life a lot more difficult. And the the way testing is set up, right? And I think when you go to college, there is this rapid rate of learning and understanding those first two weeks of a semester where you get in good with the teacher and you figure out what do, what does this professor want from me? What are the expectations? And if you can gear how you respond to that professor toward what they expect, right? How do they want those essays written? How do they give tests? And she has really, really studied hard and worked very hard to get to where she is now. So it's it's a combination of things. It's coming into our own. It's realizing that I'm going to have to work harder than everybody else. It's it's wanting that A so badly that she was willing to sacrifice a lot of social activities and extra time with her boyfriend and going out yeah. with friends. And mm-hmm. she's just a really, really hard worker. She bought herself mm-hmm. her own car, works full-time and goes to school full-time. So she's a stress case yeah. too, you know, a little bit like her mother in okay. that regard. But um, that's great. Yeah. So I think it's just uh, figuring it out. Right. It's that that those first two weeks of a a semester where you say, okay, I'm going to make notes on each professor and figure out what they want from me. And then really devoting that effort in each class to being successful based on what that professor has laid out, you know, instead of a general over the board star testing, all the, all the different kind of state testing that they do all through elementary school, junior high and high school, where you are judged based on everybody else, right? It's a college is a little bit different. Those professors can actually see you as a human being, as an adult. And she has opportunity to go up after class and talk, say, what can I do a little bit differently? You know, I'm not very good at this and really get that extra effort that she's put forward on her own to make a difference. So I think we've got a problem in our schools in this country and obviously, obviously. I I mean, we've got a a whole education system designed to make up, to create factory workers and make good factory workers. That's right. don't have many factory jobs anymore. Well, or it's designed for everybody to be a philosopher, you know? I mean, everybody needs to be a philosopher, so everybody has to go to college. And pretty soon we're going to run out of um, plumbers and the guys that work in the manholes in the streets and the women that are wonderful bakers and and men who are wonderful bakers. I mean, don't want to be sexist at all in this. Just I think we need to really understand strengths. And that's one of the things that I I think is missing in education. And there's such a strong, forceful push to everybody needs a college education. And I don't necessarily believe that or agree with it. But we'll see. We'll see what happens over the next few years. Let's hope we're educating our children well enough that they can fix the problem. Well, yes, (laughs) that's for sure. Yeah, we didn't do a very good job, did we? (laughs) So. So one one of the things that we addressed last year was resolutions, and um, I haven't made a resolution. I think it's it's been ten years now. I, I usually look back on my year and say, okay, what did I commit to do at the top of last year? Right? What did I um, vow to do? Did I live up to that vow? Did I live up to that commitment? Did I follow through on that goal? 
One of the things that I thought was really funny that you said last year in our show was you're going to stop telling people how to use Facebook. So, were you successful at that? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay, um, good. You know, this 2015 was kind of my year of understanding social media. Believe it or not, I mean, I've been playing with it for, you know, since 2000. Sure. Gosh, I don't know. I started blogging in 2006, so I was kind of ahead of the curve on that. Right. You know, I had my Twitter account in 2007 or something like that or eight. You know, so I've always been kind of on the front edge of this, but it's gotten, I mean, especially Facebook and LinkedIn have just gotten so Huge. weird lately. I mean, Huge, yeah. I actually saw people putting on LinkedIn the other day stuff I wouldn't even put on Facebook. So I was, I saw something too. It was horrible. But yeah, I pretty much stopped. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you can fight a battle until you figure out you're never going to win it. So what's the point? Right. And number one, number two is who am I to tell anybody how to do anything? I mean, if you're getting fun, if you're enjoying it, the thing I love is Facebook changed. So now I can unfollow somebody without unfriending them. Yes, 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 yes. So, you know, there's a lot of people I think that are shouting very loudly at nobody anymore. I, I think you're right. I think you're very right. But I don't share a bunch of my life on Facebook. So, but yeah, I have, I've dialed it back and I'm, I just kind of, you know, I've got my core group. Uh, we talked about the Dunbar number. I've done yes. a really good job of just dialing back who I interact with. And I still see a lot in the feed, but I don't react to very much anymore because yeah. it's just, it's a no win, you know? So it's, to me, it's, if I can have fun with it, you know, I'm doing what everybody else is doing. I'm just doing it my way. Yeah, I want to address this when we come back. We're going to take a quick break and recognize our sponsor for HR Latte. But when we come back, I definitely want to hit the Dunbar list, maybe some behaviors that that you have changed. I know I have when I look at memories, Facebook memories. You know, they launched that the last uh, several months where you can go back and look at on this day in 2008, you said or posted this. So I noticed a, a significant difference for myself. So we'll be right back after this quick message. HR Latte is brought to you by Dovetail Software, a SaaS-based HR case management and help desk solution to ease today's HR departments into tomorrow. Simple but powerful real-time employee engagement, knowledge management, and detailed analytics empower human resource departments and shared services teams to effectively handle any type of employee interaction. Dovetail Software, by HR, for HR. And we are back. I want a big shout out again to Dovetail Software for sponsoring HR Latte. They've been a great sponsor and supporter of this show and all the guests that we have on. And I look forward to 2016 continuing this effort, bringing to mind those folks that work in talent management in the technology and the different arenas that support talent management and talent acquisition. So we're back talking to Paul Hebert, who is a recognition employee engagement expert, as well as recently launching 50 Over 50 in HR, great initiative to recognize folks who have had a long career in human resources and just happen to be over the wonderful ripe age of 50. Thanks, Paul, for joining me today. Before the break, we talked a little bit about the conversation we had last year on New Year's Eve, and, and we're going to address it again this year. Can you tell us a little bit about the Dunbar list or Dunbar number that you came up with and how you how did you decide to pull back a little bit and maybe not be as spicy? Because half the time I write something out and then I delete it. You know, I don't ever hit post. One of my rules for social media is if you have to think twice about it, don't publish. Right. So and that's served me well. 
So let's talk about how you have done this. How have you achieved your effort to be a little bit less feisty, a little bit more serving of others? Yeah, I, you know, it's a funny thing that in this, we are a mass experiment. I mean, whether we like it or not, we are Zuckerberg's uh, That's true. zoo, for lack of a better term, because they're watching every little thing we do on Facebook. So they, we are a study, and nobody's been able to do this at this scale ever in the history of mankind. So, you know, it's funny when we look at this stuff. So, so there, I, that gets back to we talked about whether how you should do Facebook when there's really no right answer because right. it's an experiment. I know, though, you know, because I look at things through a social psychology, uh, behavioral economics lens and how people interact. And, you know, there's a, a guy named Robin Dunbar who came up with the Dunbar number. And I've mentioned that before. And it's roughly about the number is 150. And basically what that represents is the number of people you can actually have, I guess, a substantive connected relationship that if you get past about 150 people, all relationships suffer. So if you try to keep tabs with 180 people at a certain level, everybody's going to lose. But if you can get back and dial it back to 150 or 128, somewhere in that range, you can actually have your, that's where you, your sweet spot for the number of people you can connect to and connect to well. And he based that on the way the brain, this, the cortex of the brain and the number of people in chimpanzee, there are a number of chimps and chimpanzee tribes. And, you know, it's kind of an extended, you know, you just extrapolated from that. Right. But they've all kind of, you know, over time, we've kind of looked at it and said it does seem to work out that way. So directionally, 150 is a good number. Is it the exact number? Who knows? Right. You know, I was looking at my own Facebook thing and, you know, I was connect. People were just bombarding me with connections because like you and me both, we have big Twitter Yep. Twitter setups. We've got blogs that we blog on. We write on LinkedIn. I mean, we've got a pretty big social footprint, so people naturally can want to connect. But I was getting connections from people that I may have bumped into once at a conference. Now, to me, at least the way I was always using social networks is that was LinkedIn, right? If it was in a business context, it went to LinkedIn. If it was, you know, we were having cocktails and we were friends, went to Facebook, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that's all merged and messed together now. It's everything's a matchup, mix up. So anyway, I've just decided that I'm not going to worry about anything over about 150. And I, you know, I don't do it exact, but I did go through, I don't know if I mentioned this last year, but I went through my list of contacts, both on Facebook and LinkedIn and kind of just stack ranked everybody and went through and checkbox people that I would want to keep in contact with. And then other people that, yeah, I, I know them, but if I didn't ever hear from them again, it wouldn't make a difference. Right. And I was right around 180. Wow. So I was pretty okay. close. So just by accident, I was keeping and managing my contact list. And I've pretty yep. much done that for 2015. And I've made a specific effort to call more people on the phone, to try to do more Skype stuff, do, you know, less just, uh, you know, shooting emails. So I think it's worked for me. I've had more and better conversations with people. So I think it's it's working for me. That's all. You I know, think. that is a commitment that I do. I guess if somebody got technical, they would call it a resolution. But I do every... January 1, I say, this year I'm going to call. This year I'm going to not rely on text or email. And my husband said something really funny to me the other day. He said, you you text your mom all the time. Why don't you just pick up the phone and call her? And there's an interesting part about that, though. I think that my mother will be more open. Some people are more open when they're writing than if they talk, right? And I think that our relationship has actually changed and improved because we write to each other almost every day, 
right? We're texting back and forth to each other. It's like it's like the what I've always called social media the the new front porch. Remember how you used to walk? And this reminds me of the the scenes from To Kill a Mockingbird, where you'd walk the neighborhood and you'd wave to people on the porch, or they'd yell at you and call you a scallywag. And don't you, you know, don't you scout? Don't you talk that way to me? I'm going to tell your father on you, <laughs> that kind of thing. And and I think that there is a need for us to get back to that old fashioned way of communicating. And sometimes it is through writing because we are a little bit more free. You know, I think that's why people are so vocal on Facebook. There's a little bit of an anonymity about it and they feel free to say whatever they want, uh, things that they would not say to somebody right to their face, right? Now you, but um, you mentioned, you know, you're texting with your mom and everything, but you're still talking to her on the phone, right? I mean, Oh, yes, yes. We, we so still talk on the there's phone. A, but. See, there's a real discussion. I did a, a webinar in 2015 on stay interviews. And as we know, stay interviews is where you interview people that are a potential targets for losing because, right, because right. they're disconnected. And the approach I took with it is, why do we even need to have those conversations? Well, it turns out conversation, face-to-face, me, you talking to you, and you talking to me, have a very strong sociological need. They fill a very big need. And it gets back, we started this with chimps, it gets back to the whole chimpanzee thing, is there's social grooming behaviors. Right. They sit around and pick at each other and pick the bugs, but they don't do that just because that's what they need to do. They That's a benefit. But it also establishes relationships and establishing right. the order of dominance within a tribe, all of those things. Well, conversations are kind of our social grooming behavior. So if we don't have them, we lose connection with That's people. right. That's so right. the fact that you can actually text to your mother just adds that much uh, deeper level conversation when you have them because you've gotten rid of some of the other stuff out of the way. Right. So by having the texting in addition to the conversations, it's actually a great way to build better relationships. Well, it, it has been for us because it's been a, you know, she was a, a late adopter of the smartphone. I, mean, mm-hmm. I think she just got hers two and a half, maybe not even that long ago, two and a half years ago. And it was hard to look, hey, mom, look, you can do Facebook from your phone. <laughs> you know, you don't have to log into your computer. You know, she was so um, regimented about getting up every morning and she would check her emails and send emails to her brothers and do Facebook. And then she'd get off. She sent out a birth. My mom does birthday emails. So whenever somebody in the family has a birthday, she sends out an early morning email to, to recognize them. This is a woman that has 23 grandchildren, six children, lots of family. So she is pretty much saying happy birthday every day to somebody. (laughs) So we all get an email from her every morning and it's, it's been nice to see her embrace and use the technology that benefits her in the way that it will benefit her. So let's shift gears real quick because we are, I knew we would do this, running out of time quickly. One of the things that we talked about last year, and it came as a result of being at HR Tech, for me anyway, was seeing how many companies were out there saying recognition, recognition, recognition. You know, um, OC Tanner launched a new uh, section. I think it was Grazi, which I didn't even see this year. So I don't even know if it was successful. All these different companies that were Achievers, all part of Global Force, the Recognition Employee Engagement yeah. Awards type of a company. All of a sudden, it shifted in 2015 to be exclusively employee engagement, which recognition obviously falls in line with. What does employee engagement mean to you, Paul? This is one of my standard questions that I'm asking almost every guest on HR Latte this year. What does employee engagement truly mean to you? You know, it's funny. Engagement means a lot of different things. You're right. I mean, everybody's got their own definition. You know, you've got the discretionary effort definition. You know, mine's always been kind of lean forward versus lean back. You know, when when you're satisfied, you lean back. When you're engaged, you lean forward. Right. So 
where I break down engagement, and one, let me just say this: the reason you're seeing so much people, so many people talking about it, is because I can make it whatever I want it to be. That's right. So if I have a product or service I'm trying to sell, I can wrap that in the engagement cloak and get somebody's opinion, and nobody can say I'm wrong. So it's just a it's a very natural big bucket to throw your product and service in, and you'll still be right. And people are attuned to it because we have been convinced over years that engagement is a driver of business performance. Now we just saw who's a KM, KPMG just came out saying, you know what, we think it's all you know snake oil. We're not even going to measure it anymore. Right. So there's some there's some pushback on the you know whether it's causal, whether it's just corollaries, all of that. But anyway. Do you the think thing we'll... I keep coming back to Go employee ahead. engagement is employee engagement is not something that a company can do to an employee. They cannot engage them. An employee has to decide whether they want to be engaged with an organization. And therefore, to me, engagement is really a two-way street. And we keep missing that employee part of that equation is that companies keep coming out with foosball tables and organic whatevers. And they think that's going to help drive engagement because that's what the survey said. But I think we've trained our employees to fill out surveys so that we get more next year as an employee. So they we've trained them to say stuff's not good. We're not engaged because that's they know things will get better if they do that. Yeah, that's interesting. And and so, I, I think we also are always like, I'm I'm not happy. I need to be happy and I'm not happy. And you know what? Sometimes work is work. You know, it's it's called work for a reason. And you're not always supposed to be have this thrilling, wonderful, engaging day. Sometimes you just have to get shit done. And and people want it to be perfect. It always comes back to did I, the employee, find any value? Did was I did I like it? I've worked at jobs. I used to when I used to work first started out, we would uh, I had a presentation at General Motors, a 40 million dollar incentive program for their dealer network. That's probably the single largest employee or program that was ever done in the automotive industry. And we were up three days straight without sleeping. We laid on the floor in the office working on this proposal. And nobody, if you ever asked, somebody would say today, oh, that's horrible. It was fun. We had a blast. But it was because we had a goal. We had a very specific thing. We were were working our butts off. We were having fun doing it. It wasn't really work. And that was because we decided we were having fun. See, Um, that is such a wonderful, a really strong viewpoint of what it is to be engaged. It's a team working together on a, a communal goal to try and achieve some type of success within a team or within an organization. And and maybe that's the next shift we'll see. Do you think we're still going to be talking about engagement in 2016? When you and I come back next year at this time, will we have new ideas about employee engagement? Is it going to still be a thing? Yes. And the reason it will be is because there's too big of an ecosystem invested in it. You know, it's kind of like, why don't we have electric cars? Because we have an oil and petroleum industry with 20, 50,000 gas stations all across this country. You don't overnight displace that kind of infrastructure. We now have an ecosystem where everybody does employee engagement. Therefore, it's going to take a while before that shifts. I mean, Bernson tried to do it by calling it, you know, the, the irresistible company and that it's no longer about being employees engaged. We want employees that are married. I mean, talk about just twisting a metaphor just to get a few more page views. But my gosh, I mean, we just can't switch off engagement yet. I don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. There's still too much to do, too much to talk about. Well, we haven't even gotten to the answer yet. I mean, yeah. we, we are hearing, we're probably in the 10th year where engagement scores from, you know, pick a number out of a hat. Right. Consultancy have not exceeded 30%, right? 
That's right. I keep asking the question. Nobody wants to address it. Is is 30% as good as it's ever going to be? Wow. Why do we think it should be more? I don't know. Nobody's done the research to say engagement should be at 70 across yeah. the board. Nobody's said that. I, th- so I think that is everything. definitely something we're going to have to address this year. Let's let's talk about that. Let's write a couple blogs about it. Let's make sure that is um, thought of. When we think about employee engagement, are we just shooting for 30%? You know, is that as good as it gets? I, I would agree with you. We need to wrap up, Paul. This I, last year we ran over time too, and I knew I knew this would happen. But what's <laughs> well, the, what's the favorite thing you saw in 2015? I think the favorite thing I saw was people returning to this idea that I have to have longer term conversations. So yes, social media is big and it's hot, and we still do a lot of it. But nobody complained about spending a half hour on the phone with me. Yeah. Uh, nobody's going to complain that they may listen an extra 10 minutes to this call or this, 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 this interview. I think long form on blog posts is actually getting more interesting. So I think people are kind of coming back to this idea that I need to spend more time thinking about and being engaged in a piece of information and we're getting away from oh, these little tiny nuggets. That's just my feeling. We're getting away from Sesame Street, 10-second hits. And uh, I, I read a blog post the other day that took me 22 minutes to read. That's unheard of, right? But I loved it. And I yeah, was engaged I, I just, in, yeah. I, you know, we have been surfing knowledge for so long that uh, we need to get in and swim in it. I just think that's why we're not getting anywhere. We're, we're implementing 10% of most solutions because that's all we have time to read. Right. I think we need to make the time. I, I and, agree. Oh, okay. Uh, great, Paul. Let's see. Any last words of wisdom before we wrap up? Call people, talk to people, meet them in real life. Let's do the human thing. Let's do more of that. Yes, 2016, <laughs> bring it on. Where can our listeners learn more about you and 50 over 50 in HR? Well, um, 50 over 50 HR.com is a good place to start okay. there. My blog is What Is Paul Thinking? It's on WordPress. You can just Google What Is Paul Thinking or Paul okay. Incentive. All of that will pop up. I try not to post as often as I used to because I found myself just posting garbage in order to keep a schedule and I'm not doing that anymore. Okay. I'm also doing uh, little interviews. So if anybody wants to do a podcast with me on what do you wish people had told you at the beginning of your career, (laughs) that's something I'm, you know, I'm trying to teach my kids now what to do when they get their first job and I'm soliciting information from people on what did they wish somebody would have told them. Love it. So other than that, like I say, what is Paul thinking? Twitter, I'm Incent Intel. So, Incent Intel. Yep. Perfect. Paul, thank you so much for joining me again on this New Year's Eve show. Wishing everybody a very happy 2016. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. 